would uh, scream out those answers, whether they happen to be right or wrong. Let me encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to John chapter number 13, verses 4 through 10. In John chapter 13, verses 4 through 10, you and I find an account of Jesus and his disciples coming into a room, or coming into a house rather, and, and sitting down to supper. And Jesus, Jesus noticed before they sat down that no one washed the feet of the men who came in. An ancient Hebrew practice of hospitality, we washing those feet, uh, that cool water has an opportunity to refresh people and gets that dust and, and debris and dirt from those old dusty roads off of, off of their feet. It cleans them. The rest of their body is pretty well clean. They have an opportunity to clean the dust off of their feet. And Jesus notices that this fact does not happen. And so what does he do? He takes off his outer coat and puts it aside and puts a towel around his waist. Then he goes to each individual disciple and he begins to put himself in a position of submission to them. He would clean their feet, then he would go to the next and bend down and clean their feet. And can you imagine the clamor that's going around between these 12 men? As he's doing that, I see at least in my mind's eye, Peter being the last one in line. I don't know where he sat, but in my mind, he's the last one in line. And as Jesus makes his way around that room and he begins to bow down before Peter, Peter says, you're not going to clean my feet. What a great statement that is. We, we look at that and we see kind of the, the nobility of Peter and we think, that's right, Peter, he's the son of God. He's not supposed to be doing that. But Jesus comes back and says, if I don't clean your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. Well, now we've put this thing into a whole different perspective, haven't we? So Peter replies and says, well, then don't clean just my feet. Clean my hands, clean my head. And Jesus would say, those things are not dirty. And you still haven't gotten the point of why I'm cleaning feet. It wasn't the fact that Peter needed to be bathed off. It wasn't the fact that any of them needed to be bathed off. Jesus would say to him, unless you put yourself subject to other people, unless you show yourself to be one who will serve other people, you can't, you can't be in my kingdom. What we find here is Peter's mouth being shot off by saying, you're not going to wash my feet. Hmm. Well, Peter, that's not going to be a good look for you because that's not going to be the way Jesus would say we have that done. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning verse number 25 and running through about verse 31 or 32 there. You have the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee as they often did and, and as the terrain would, would find itself there, storms came up on that particular sea and still do come up on that particular sea very quickly and very aggressively. They find themselves in a boat in the middle of a storm and as they are in that boat, they see a figure out there 
walking on water. Now, I want you to know something. I try my best not to rank miracles as if one is better than the other. This one might be my favorite. How in the world do you walk on water? How many of you have ever stepped in a puddle of water? How many of you have ever walked on a puddle of water? There's a whole big, big difference, is there? When I step in that puddle of water, my shoe will get covered up, and maybe even my leg, depends how deep it is, and I still, at 44, love to do that. And here is a man who can manipulate the tensile strength of water in order to support a human and the pressure that the human would put on that water. And as he's walking by there, the, those disciples see him, and, and rightly so, they begin to uh, question if they have lost their minds. What is this? Who is that? What is this? They come to the conclusion that it's Jesus. And once again, in my mind, I can see them all at the edge of that boat, sort of peering out there, looking hard to see who that is. And here we go once again with Peter and his big mouth where Peter says, Lord, if it's you, why don't you just let me come on out there? I don't know what Peter expected to hear, but probably not the phrase, well, come on, but that's what he heard. And can you imagine him putting his hands on the side of that boat and putting one foot over and thinking, well, this... And that one stayed up. And putting that other one over, and now he's standing on water to where he begins to walk out to Jesus. And he is walking on water. And by the way, he's the only human who is not divine who can ever make the statement that I walked on water at least for a little bit. He's walking on water. He then begins to notice the storm around him and begins to be more focused on that than he is on Jesus. So he begins to sink, crying out to Jesus. Jesus lifts him back up out of that water. Can you see Peter's mouth being shot off here? Well, if it's you, let me, let me come on out. There is a great side note that you and I need to understand from this particular account of Peter's life also. And here's the account. He's the only one who got out of the boat. There were 11 others who could have. But he's the only one. If it's you, let me come out there. Or you're not going to wash my feet. How about Luke chapter 22? Verse number 31 through about verse 34 or 35. We're looking at hours before Jesus is arrested, before he goes through the, the kangaroo court that he went and eventually finds himself on a cross, redeeming mankind, but uh, underneath the legal system, realistically, being murdered. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 
number 31, Jesus begins a conversation uh, that Peter is a part of. And he says, there are going to be some bad things happen uh, over the next few hours, and y'all need to be prepared for it. And Peter said, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm ready to follow you wherever you would have me follow. I'm ready to go all the way to death with you. Then I'm going to make a statement right here, and, and I'm going to cut Peter just a little bit of slack. Here's why. I think when he made that statement, I'm ready to go with you to death or to prison or to death, I think he meant that. I think he thought he was ready to do that. I, I think he thought maybe if I'm ever put in those situations, then I, I'll choose what I ought to be doing. Maybe he meant that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pretend like that's what he meant, even if he didn't. I think that's what he meant as he's speaking there. That I'm ready. And Jesus would make a statement unto him. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. If you come to my house, if you go into Miss Brandy's kitchen, and if you face our refrigerator, and if you go down to the right on that bottom cabinet, the bottom cabinet on the right of those two that are there, you will find a canister with a crank on the side of it about this big around. Any of you sift flour when you bake? Do you know why we sift flour when we bake it? It's so that the, the goods that we are baking will come out lighter and fluffier and they'll be more pleasing to us. What we're doing is breaking it down to its, its fundamental parts. Jesus would say to, to Peter, Satan has a desire to sift you like wheat, to break you down. And let me tell you what I learned in the break. Thank you, Michael. That second uh, pronoun that's used in there is a plural pronoun in the, in the original, which means he wasn't just looking for Peter. He was looking for a way into and a way to uh, sell out Jesus by any of those 12. He was just searching for a way in there. What a great idea that is. Jesus would say to him, I've been praying for you. Can you imagine that? That there are people who come to me and tell me uh, through the week, I've been praying for you and for your family, and I appreciate that. And if you do that, thank you. I appreciate that. I need all I can get. I appreciate those who would stand here publicly and pray for, for us as, as the preachers here. I appreciate those things. Can you imagine the Son of God saying to you, I have personally been praying just for you. Wow. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Son, I've been praying for you. <laughs> and he follows that up by saying, when you are converted. Whoa, 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 whoa. Peter has been with this man for three years. Peter has a wife. And children. You know how I know that? One, he has a mother-in-law. You can't have a mother-in-law without having a wife, right? 
two, he's an elder or will be an elder later on. You can't be an elder in the Lord's church without having children. Here. You know, within those three years, we never hear anything about his wife or his children. I don't think he has left them destitute, but I do think he goes out every day with Jesus and sometimes spends some time away from his family. He's given up all of that for three years to follow this man, and this man will look at him and say, you're not converted? Who's Jesus think he is? <laughs> he knows exactly who he is. Jesus says you're not converted yet. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen, even though Peter would say, I'm ready to follow you to death. Really, there's an old Jerusalem rooster that would speak to the contrary that Peter would be willing to follow him to death. Look at the mouth of Peter. He gets in trouble about feet. He gets in trouble about walking on the sea. He gets in trouble about how he is converted or how he should be converted. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. As Jesus comes across that same uh, coast of Galilee into Caesarea Philippi, he begins to ask those future apostles, the disciples, the 12 he's handpicked right here, who do men say around this area that I am? And they begin to say, some say you're Jeremiah or Isaiah or another prophet, maybe even John the Baptist. Then Jesus asks that fateful question. Is that right? What are you saying about me? Who do you say that I am? And here he comes once again to the forefront. The one who's always a little bit impetuous. I don't know if this is a word or not, but impetuosity, is that a word? Being impetuous? I don't know if that's a word. Miss Charlie's shaking her head like it is. I just think she don't want to disagree with me. Being impetuous all the time is not bad. It's not all the time good either. Sometimes we can be so impetuous that we, that we rush through something and we don't complete those tasks properly. Sometimes we can be impetuous on a question like this that is being asked from Peter, and he knows the question so much that he's going to give the perfect answer. When Jesus says, who are you saying I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You're the redeemer. You're the savior. You're the one we've been looking for. And in a, a spot of Hebrew parallelism, he mentions who he is twice. You're the Savior, the Redeemer, the King, and you are the Son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. You are God incarnate. You are the one uh, who would have the Godhead bodily found within him, and you're standing right here in front of us. You know what they got to see? With Jesus there at their side, they had an opportunity to see into the very eyes, the physical eyes of Jesus. And they had a chance to see uh, when, when he would be compassionate toward people. They had a chance to see when he was hungry or, or when he was tired. They had an opportunity to see a portion of God that 
we don't get that chance to do today. We only get to see those uh, via the Scripture. And Peter would say, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Now notice what he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, in the King James, it would re read bar Jonah, which is a, an old Hebrew phrase for son of. For flesh and blood have not revealed this. And you had not found this out because of something physical on this side of eternity. But the reason you have found this out is because of God. Flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The rock that he is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. That rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, notice verse 19, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of God. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Out of those 12 that were there, Jesus said to Peter, because of the way you answered and because of your, your zeal toward me, because of your mouth, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of God. Which in turn would pull us to Acts chapter number 2. In Acts chapter number 2, after those 12 were there in that house, uh, the first few verses there, after they had been anointed with the Holy Ghost, which that's the only time that ever happened in the history of man, those 12, once that happened, they stand up and begin to preach. And all of them, I think, were preaching, but we have opportunity to hear only Peter's sermon. That's the only one that was recorded for us. And he said, you know the guy, you've seen him, he's been right here in your midst. He's done miracles and signs and wonders, and God with his foreknowledge has taken him, and by your wicked hands, he's crucified him. But he didn't let him stay there. He only stayed there three days and he came out. He's not like David. David's still laying over there. As a matter of fact, throughout the whole commotion of the sermon that Peter would preach there on the day of Pentecost, his uh, sermon should be entitled this. 50 days ago, you killed Jesus. Now what? Whew. That's a rather pointed sermon, isn't it? You've killed him. Now what are you going to do? And their question is this. They stop him right in the middle of the sermon. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to satisfy the wrath of God against what we have done? And God uses the one who doesn't know anything about feet washing, who doesn't know anything about walking on the sea, who is sketchy if he's converted here in Acts chapter 2 to tell these people to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall be uh, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and in verse 39 he'll go on to say and this ain't just for you this is not just for you it's for those who are all far off in multiple generations multiple places geographically and we can trace from Acts chapter 2 up until today by the things that happened in Acts chapter 2. We can trace the New Testament church to still be alive and in, an ex in, its, in its existence because of the mouth of someone who consistently put his foot in his mouth. 
because God used someone who was not afraid to stand up for him and speak what's true. I started this sermon off by saying I, I understand where Peter is. I understand how he has that ability to put his foot in his mouth. Do you know that God has the ability to use mankind? Use a, a single person. No matter... No matter his personality type. No matter how reckless he may be with his, with his speech, if that person is willing to be converted. If that person is willing to subject himself unto God and his regulations. If that man is willing to hear what God has to say and believe it. If he's willing to repent of his sin, confess that Jesus is the Christ. And if he's willing to be baptized in water for the remission of his sins, God can use that person. If you haven't done those things, you need to. God has a task for you. But he's not going to give you that task until you become his child. It might be the case, brother or sister, that you have done those things. And yet, for some reason, like Peter outside of that boat, you've taken your eyes off of Christ. And you begin to sink in a world that's slowly killing you. Let me invite you to come back home to a God that misses you, to a family that's been praying for you. And let me invite you that if you're subject to heaven's invitation, that you come right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. With all I give, I could do.